you're listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by Toonstar, an animation tech startup that produces snackable, interactive content for mobile audiences. To learn more, visit Toonstar.com or download the Toonstar app. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is Jesus Chavez, CEO of Vertical Networks. Jesus, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm glad we get to do this. And uh, I know your background is in radio, so I feel like you're probably going to be <laughs> yeah. a natural when it comes to podcasting. Uh, yeah, it was funny when I first joined on the, when I first started on the media side, it was in the radio group for Univision and it was uh, really interesting, you know, getting on phone calls with people. You can always tell those that have been on air at some given point because <laughs> they had the best voices. I never did that, but uh, sometimes I would get uh, confused with someone who actually was on air, but I'm sure. sure. No, never uh, did that. Well, here's your debut. So hey, uh, how did you find your way to Univision? So my background, I'll give you just a quick rundown. My background was actually in consulting. I studied engineering in school, did uh, mechanical engineering, and you know, and that sort of uh, way of doubling down, I then went ahead and got an emphasis in robotics because that's what wow. you do when you do engineering, right? You can't just do regular engineering. Uh, but I got into consulting. And I think for me, always it was always sort of the business track that, that I found really attractive. Uh, I started consulting for Accenture in the tech side, uh, was out of the Bay Area. You know, actually, one of the ways that I gauge how old someone is, is I always say that one of my biggest clients at the time was Netscape. When I get that little, that blank stare, then I kind of know, you know, what age range they may be if they don't recognize that company anymore. But I was in consulting for a while. Eventually went back to B-School, to Anderson at UCLA. And uh, it was there that I was recruited uh, to join Univision. It It was actually really interesting what they had at the time. They had what was almost like a, it was like a program that basically was a fast track to management. So basically, they would go and recruit from all the major business schools across the country, find one person to come into the company, get a chance to work in multiple projects with senior leadership, and then eventually get some kind of uh, leadership position within the organization. So for someone that had no media background at all, getting an opportunity to join a company like that of that stature and getting the kind of access that I was going to get, it was just a really... Uh, interesting opportunity and obviously one that I couldn't pass up. Well, I think one of the things that I had at the time is prior to that, everything that I've been involved with was more on the technology side. And, you know, I felt that it was a time in my life that I really wanted to be involved in a business, whether directly or indirectly, that could impact uh, in a positive manner the Latino community. So when Univision came around, media and, and sort of getting a chance to get the level of access, I found it really interesting and jumped on board. And I was there for nine years, learned a lot, got a chance to do a whole set of things from uh, of course, I did digital a lot of the digital side, but even got a chance to run multiple stations as a general manager. I was heading affiliate relations, was running digital strategy, got a chance to lead sort of the revamp of all of the digital operations for the radio and television group. It was like 70, I think around 70 stations, 22 markets. We launched that entire thing and sort of got a chance to expand out that business out quite a bit. And, and eventually I ended up leaving. Uh, and I think a big part for me is that I was... You know, running a digital organization within a linear company is, is just a different kind of animal, right? And, and ultimately, I felt really strongly that the future that I was excited about was one with digital wholeheartedly, right? And I was okay to fail or succeed, hopefully more succeed than fail in the, in the digital environment. So I left with aspirations and wanted to launch my own company. In that process, I ended up um, a colleague of mine who had worked with me at, at Univision had left before me and was consulting for this company called MeToo, M-I-T-U. That was before I received the, the MeToo movement. And they had, you know, they had some traction, and it was interesting. It was close enough to what I wanted to do that got a chance to meet the CEO. We sort of had a meeting of the minds and ultimately ended up joining them. Was there for four years. No, 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 do a number of things. I started with them right at sort of the peak of the MCN business and MCN world. Actually, I came in to run the MCN operations, and... Um, one thing that was really interesting for me as I came in and we started talking about the business, we started digging into what MCN was and how to operate it. 
Uh, I think we came to the conclusion really quickly. I think within three months, I remember having a discussion with the CEO and saying, listen, I just, I, I'm having a really hard time understanding how we're going to build long-term value being an MCN. And, you know, luckily we were on the same page on that. And uh, otherwise I may not have a job anymore, uh, being that I came in to run that part of the business. But uh, we ended up deciding to, you know, launching a consumer-facing brand. And, and my role there sort of expanded from MCN to operations in general. Folks, a lot of my time on that operations side eventually became the CEO. And uh, about five and a half months ago, uh, I left and, uh, and uh, joined this company, Vertical Networks, and became their CEO, which was super excited to join, uh, to join this company. And I think the part of what got me really excited about Vertical Networks is that I found an organization that almost by necessity had, had to figure out a way to be successful in a mobile-only environment. So just to give you background on the company, you know, the company's been around for about three years. It was initially funded by uh, Elizabeth Murdoch and also with investment from Snapchat as a, as a JV. It started primarily in, in Snapchat, was able to build one of the, the more successful Discover channels called Brother uh, within Snapchat. It's a, think of Brother as a, as a guide to how to do life from an older brother point of view, right? So it, it really covered a lot of topics, did extremely well in sort of daily publishing, uh, was able to generate a lot of audience. And that by itself was interesting, but to me, sort of not good enough, right? If, if that's all it was. What I found extremely interesting is that this company had found a way to leverage that daily conversation to be able to incubate, to stress test ideas, and, and also develop formats that could stand as shows on their own. And through that process, we were able to launch a sort of series of, of pretty successful shows, mobile-only shows, that had, um, you know, that really were speaking to a much younger generation. And that's what I found really exciting. I found a company that had found a way to leverage their daily conversation, their social audience, as a way to build residual value in the form of IP. And I think that's what I found really, really appealing. And really for me, it was an opportunity to sort of take that mobile IQ the company had built and then try to expand it across the board into multiple platforms, into longer form projects, build a direct arm monetization through brand partnerships. And, uh, you know, that's basically what got me really excited about the opportunity. Amazing. Wow. I have a million questions. Yeah, <laughs> this I kind of covered quite back. a bit, I think, on, no, that, on the intro. <laughs> I love it. So first of all, you start this background of engineering and consulting, mm -hmm. and then you make this pretty big transition in sure. the rest of your careers in media and with Correct. an emphasis on interactive media, digital media. Yeah. What about media kind of sparked your interest? I always loved the innovation part of it, right? Like earlier, like I was an engineer by, by that's what I studied. You know, one of the things that I told people, uh, especially young people, as it relates to, you know, sort of picking a career path is, you know, everyone constantly talks about what are the things you can do, right? I think what people don't talk enough about it, what are the things that you shouldn't do? And try to figure, so try to take, take some things off the table. So for me, that sort of topic was, as a I'm blanking, I think it was a, between my sophomore and junior year, uh, I did an internship at an oil field for mobile as an operations engineer, and it was great. It was great that at 19 years old, I had found the one thing I never want to do again in life. <laughs> yeah. And and you know, you got to imagine how liberating that could feel, right? For a 19 year old kid to try and figure out what he wants to do, and everything at that point seemed like a possibility. But knowing what it is that I don't want to do was really exciting. And I think it was, besides the sort of environmental, you know, issues that I think a lot of people would have with that industry, I think the part that bothered me the most was what felt like the lack of innovation, that we were still dealing with technology that had been basically the same technology for a very long time. And that pace of innovation, I think, is what like, killed me. And I recognized that even at that age, that, it was, that was a problem for me. So... Whether it was going to consulting, which I felt was a great opportunity to learn about a whole set of different businesses. And even when I looked at media, I, I found the media space really interesting because in some of the challenges, while seemed challenges that have been sort of in the industry for a while, it was it was going through this massive transformation from linear to digital. And I was right in the middle of that conversation. And even if you think about it in the context of a company like Univision, was trying to rethink the way that they approach the Latino market in the US, that was going through a massive transformation as well. I think that's what always got me really exciting. You know, so then sort of fast forward to now when I think about storytelling and storytelling 
especially for the for the for a mobile device, I think that's also going through a massive transformation in terms of the types of content being created. Because I guess the thesis that I that I have is that I think there is tons of companies who are creating content that happens to be distributed on mobile. But I think there's very few companies who are thinking about creating content specifically to be consumed on mobile. And that's, in my mind, a really big distinction. It's something that we think about all the time. You know, I get asked the question, who do you compete with? And, you know, you and I come up with a list of the 120 other publishers that are creating, you know, let's call it short-form content. But to me, it's not that who I'm competing with. I'm competing, in my mind, with everything that's on a person's phone that I'm stopping them from doing for every second they spend consuming my content. And when you think about storytelling in that way, it really makes you completely rethink how you tell a story, the type of content you create, the formats that you use, the styles of shots that you include within an actual narrative arc that you're including. And we've done a very good job of understanding all those different elements and levers that impact a person getting from end to end in watching a piece of content or an episode that goes way beyond what I had traditionally seen as, you know, people always say being data-driven. You know, people usually, usually refer to how they package content for social distribution as being data-driven, which, which it is, and it's, a, it's part of it, right? But I think what I found in this company that I got really excited about is they really had gone to the really painful process of dissecting every single part of a story, the packaging, the exposition, the buildup, kind of the entire thing, and try to figure out the best way to tell it for a mobile-only environment that will, that will give you the best opportunity to get someone through and through for, through, through an entire uh, episode. And ultimately, that's what gets me excited. I kind of like the sort of the pain of it, right? And the, uh, the suffering is something that I kind of enjoy. <laughs> yeah, so you mentioned when you were thinking about leaving uh, Univision yeah. that you were thinking about starting your own company, right? Doing yeah. something entrepreneurial. And, and fast forward, you end up working at Me Too right in the early days, right? So you joined sure. this early stage company. It was right before, uh, actually it was right after they closed their B round of funding. Oh, great. And then of course now go on to join Vertical Networks at a, mm -hmm. at a very early stage as well. Correct. Do you feel like you've always kind of had that entrepreneurial bug? What was driving that? Yeah, I think that a lot of it is, is sort of uh, built in, in the way that I think. So I have this whole sort of philosophy that I use with my teams and that, that, I, that, I, that I talk about all the time. You know, it's a couple of things that I mention all the time. So one will be is, I love people that have intellectual curiosity because that's what I have. Like I'm the kind of person that if someone asks a question, I don't know the answer, I'll look it up. Like I just, I, it bugs me not to know, right? And part of it, I think when you're an entrepreneur, you have to have that. You have to want to learn more. Like you can't just be okay with whatever you're doing right now, even if it's working. So that's one. I think the other one that I talk about all the time with my, with my team is being an agent of change, right? And what I mean by that is basically being the person that is willing to do it first to yourself before you have to do it, before anyone else does it to you. Right? And part of that is being very forward-thinking about how trends are changing, how content is, is, is evolving, how companies are doing innovative things outside of what you're doing, and, and really trying to be at the forefront of actually pushing the envelope. And I think when you combine those two elements together, those tend to lead to more entrepreneurial type of, of engagements because I don't know if at this point I could really be part of a really big organization where I have a very sort of small view of the world that is very steady. And while it might be comfortable... Uh, I'll start to get bored really, really quickly. And that's, I think, part of the reason why the entrepreneur side is, is really interesting to me. Yeah, there's something unique about the adrenaline rush. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is being an entrepreneur. I think it's a problem, but I mean, I'm working good. on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm also I'm fascinated by what you talk about as these platform shifts, which create unique opportunities for new forms of storytelling, yeah. as well as new business models, right? So if we Absolutely. think about the transition from linear to online media, which mm -hmm. uh, in the social realm first kind of started with blogging mm -hmm. and then the big shift to video content with YouTube and other platforms following suit, live content, right. and now mobile, right? And, and creating right. mobile first entertainment experiences is yet another significant platform shift. Sure. So I'm curious, what are some of the distinct differences that you observe from a mobile first 
kind of content creation perspective and what are the opportunities that presents to the business? Yeah, I mean, I think of it in a couple of different ways. One is if you think about storytelling, let's talk about the two extremes, right? So one extreme is storytelling for film, right? When you're going in to watch a, a movie, you're basically committed that you're going to spend two hours to watch this movie. Now, if you've gone to the theater, there's very few times, and I'm sure you could think of, that you actually walked out of a movie. No matter how bad the movie is, like it has to be so terrible for you to walk out, right? I mean, I'm sure you caught yourself telling, you know, asking yourself, like, when is this going to get going, right? Now, part of that is because yeah, I think as a, of course, I'm not advocating for bad movies because no one wants to see a bad movie. But the reality is that if I'm a filmmaker, I know that I have two hours that you're going to dedicate to me. So therefore, my ability to spend the time developing story is a lot longer. I have a lot more freedom in how I develop the story because I know that you committed a certain amount of time already to be there. Well, if that was storytelling that was really, truly built for mobile, you just don't have that. You don't have that level of luxury. I think part of the thing that we, we talk about a lot is what is the attention span that someone's going to have, that someone's going to dedicate to this piece of content before they move on to the next thing within this social platform, within, once again, anything else that's in that, in that phone, because we're talking about engaging an audience in a really distracted environment. Now, if you happen to engage them, then they're, you know, they're going to look at just that. So that's, I think, that's also a very, very powerful thing. So we measure a lot of uh, what are the different elements about how we tell a story, how you package it, how well, how clearly that idea or format is defined that immediately tells you what it is, what to expect, and why I should watch it all the way through the end. Uh, we even measure certain things as shot selection. So we, we think about what is the density in the shot that is within a living story that sort of adds additional sort of uh, uh, visual cues that keeps you more engaged. So density means things like split screens and the frequency of those. And what is the frequency of those actually correlate to how long people actually will watch an episode. Things like setup shots. So one of the things that we looked at is in, in some of some shows that we did previously, we would do these beautiful sort of broad shots of, of scenery. And what we found is that whenever we included shots like that, we actually saw a drop off in completion rate, I think with around 22%, because that did not feel very mobile to people when they were watching. Mobile is a very personal type of experience. So those are the kind of things that we think about or look at all the time. And we spent a lot of time developing and testing the ideas, the formats. I mean, one of, if you think of our progression, this is once again the part that I get excited about is we look at, at our social publishing as a way to incubate ideas. Uh, we develop all these things that we call franchises, which are basically like light versions of shows, right? But at that point, we really are testing a narrative arc to see if people will stick to it, how they're engaging with it. Is it sort of a concept explained easily enough that people, you know, immediately as they go into that content, they want to stick around and watch it? And then if we see success there, then that will launch it to its own sort of standalone show. And this is why some of the formats that we develop are sort of, they're, they're, the beauty of them is, is the simplicity of them. So as an example, one of our most successful shows that we've done uh, is a show called Phone Swap. And it's a blind dating show. Premise is very simple. You basically have two people come in within the first couple of minutes of the blind date. They have to swap phones. Each of them gets a chance to look through the phone and then from there decide whether or not they want to continue the date, right? Every time I explain that, I always get like a, you know, a little bit of a, of a cringe or a little bit of a laugh because you can immediately imagine all the things that every single person, no matter who they are, will be concerned that may, well, someone may think of them as they look at their phone. Sure. And that's like the most personal that's the experience most personal, at this point. That's right. Yeah. And I think that's a, that format is so simple. But it's really effective in how we in how we actually package that, and so we've done four original series of that on Snapchat. We then developed that format into a long form, into a 22 minute version, and then we licensed that into the Fox Television Group as a uh, to their top eight markets. And what we found that is that when we took that format and expanded it into a 22 minute version, it actually still worked very very well. And that for us, that's what that's what really good looks like, right? And we have the ability to develop IP, leverage our social audience to understand what works with them develop that into IP so we have some residual value from that social audience and develop IP that is successfully launched on digital 
but then has the ability to evolve or to grow into sort of bigger universe. So that's what ultimately really, really good looks like for us. And obviously that's an example of one that we were able to achieve that level of success. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, a lot of the content started out as being designed for Snapchat. I imagine Snapchat is still kind of a primary uh, distribution outlet for you. What are some of the other kind of mobile first viewing experiences that are important? Is Instagram significant? Are there yeah. other platforms that you Yeah, I think, think Instagram is definitely high on our list. Um, yeah, as, as they've now started to move more towards IP, uh, obviously we're really curious to see the progression and evolution of, of IGTV. So that, but that naturally is a, it's a natural extension for what we're doing. Uh, you know, the one that we actually did a show for that did really well was Facebook. So we did a show called I Have a Secret, which is very different in tone and type of show that we don't want anything else. And the show is basically that. It's someone that has a secret and whether it's around sexuality or, or different issues, right, they bring it up. Much more serious in tone. And it's a show that I think for the episodes, it averaged in total about 13 million views per episode. I believe the highest performing episode was about 26 million views. So it did really, really well, right? So that was another case where we developed a piece of content that mobile first, uh, but for a different type of platform like Facebook. But going back to your question, I do think IGTV is really, really high on the list. I'm really interested to see what Kobe's going to do, right? Like they're bringing you know, quite a bit of capital and, and sort of cachet with some of the talent being involved in that. Uh, but for us, sort of the, the, the answer is simple. It's anyone that is looking, is considering premium mobile content, we want to be in conversation with. Ultimately, I think this is the part that, this is our bread and butter. This is what I think we're really good at. And once again, we weren't a brand that had to retrofit how we did storytelling for mobile. We were born on mobile. And our success was sort of born from there. So therefore, the, the, the understandable what it takes to actually engage people within a mobile environment, I think we have a really unique point of view as it relates to that. And that was developed within a Snapchat environment that's applicable beyond Snapchat. I'm interested to hear a little bit more about you know, kind of your direction. You came into the company, as you said, almost six months ago. Mm-hmm. What are the priorities that you set for the team you know, coming in fresh? Yeah, there were three, three main buckets that uh, we've been pushing on. And I think all three of which I've sort of touched upon in, in different levels. So the first one was we really, really wanted to accelerate the, the amount of IP that we're generating as an organization, right? So that was a, a really big, important part. Ultimately, I felt that as a company, and obviously there's plenty of examples of companies that have struggled with their very, their socially distributed have really been challenged when the moment these platforms change direction or change their algorithm. So once again, the point was, what is the residual value that you're building from that? And, and in my mind, the residual value that we bring to the table is that IP ultimately that we generate as a result of, of that audience. So that's a really important part that we had that we've been focused on. As part of accelerating that IP, I also wanted to be able to have really add in more, more talent into our team that allowed us to be able to bridge the gap between the mobile content we were creating and some of the traditional content buyers that are out there. So I just recently brought on board, as a matter of fact, he just started uh, yesterday, is uh, my uh, head of originals who uh, who's a development executive who has more of a traditional background, worked at Paramount Networks, uh, worked for Spike TV, uh, Fremantle, I believe as well. And the thing is having someone that understands how to build formats, understand the whole development process, that coupled with uh, that intellectual curiosity that I spoke about, because one thing that I found in speaking to folks that had that level of experience, you really had two different camps. Those that were like, well, I know how to create formats, I create shows, but it's a very sort of set manner how to do that. And there was those that really had interest in terms of what's, what's different about mobile? Like, how are you actually looking at data? How do we inform? How do I help develop a better creative based on what you guys are seeing? And it was in that latter camp that I was excited to talk to people like that because I felt like that sort of coupling someone with that level of experience what we have already internally could really take us up to another level. So that was one. The second part is a little bit of what you just asked, which is we were a company that was primarily distributed on, on Snapchat. And, you know, my point there, and it really has nothing to do with Snapchat, is that I just don't think any media business, or even like, like us, uh, this day and age, is going to have long-term success if they're fully dependent on, on one single platform. 
for us, for us to be, as a matter of fact, better partners with Snapchat, we have to be able to stand on our own. Being able to stand on your own means you have more distributed audience across multiple places. So one of the things that we started doing pretty quickly, started publishing immediately into Instagram. Uh, we've actually have enhanced the amount of content that we're creating, the type of shows that we're doing, of which more of those are going to go towards multi-platform. So that's sort of the second bucket is diversify our audience across the board and really be in all the places where our audience was already consuming content, right? And the third piece was from a monetization standpoint. So most of the revenue that was being generated was primarily platform revenue coming from publishing within social platforms. We did not have a direct brand partnerships team that was taking, you know, taking our content and all these out to market. And just in my mind is, if you want to capture the premium uh, value of both your audience and, and content, they're just going to be no better to do it than yourself, right? So that was also an important part. So we've uh, we've been building out that team. So just just recently, I just had my uh, just brought in my second salesperson. Uh, I already have a head of brand strategy, head of ad operations. So I'm basically putting together that group. Because, you know, I see an opportunity to not only associate brands with the IP that we've built, that have built an audience that resonated with this the, with, the, with this audience and type of content that we're creating, but also leveraging the IQ that we have to be able to help brands do better storytelling for mobile environments. And really in those environments that their, their customers are already engaging with content. I think that's the recipe for success when you think mm-hmm. about a content creation or digital publisher strategy. It's develop IP, distribute across multiple platforms, and build the team that can help monetize it. Yeah. Right? Find multiple opportunities. You guys are thinking about platform revenue through ad-supported formats. You're thinking about branded content, SVOD licensing opportunities, Correct. bridging the gap to traditional and going after some of those bigger dollars. That's the recipe. That is the recipe, yes. <laughs> Very good. What are the challenges of being a first-time CEO? What's the hardest part? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, there's a lot of challenges. I, I was, it's funny, I was having a conversation uh, the other day with, with a friend of mine in and I was trying to describe what it is to be a CEO. And I think in part, you have to have, obviously, a strategy, a vision that you paint the picture to what it is you're trying to build as an organization. And as everything as it relates to that vision, you have to be almost a combination of slightly naive. Um, and uh, because to some extent, it's, it can be a lot of questions that would be placed in front of you and a lot of reasons to doubt yourself and what you're trying to, you're trying to build long-term, even on the promise on that vision, right? I think the, the, the challenge that you also have to face is that you have to be able to sort of find the right balance between addressing the, the issues that are basically immediately in front of you while still not losing the focus on what is the long-term vision you're trying to build in a, as, as an organization. And then more importantly is, what is at the end of the day the, the sort of the true value that you're trying to build as an organization? And be really clear about that. Uh, so these are all things that we are constantly sort of dealing with, struggling with, that I constantly think about. You know, I've been lucky in my career to have great mentors, people that I can that I can call on. Even now, you know, my ability to basically have a weekly conversation with with Liz about the strategy, the roadmap is really really helpful. Uh, I have people in my team that are you know are, are really smart and and really at the top of their game in our in our industry. And part of my job is to basically take any roadblock out of the way uh, so that they can be more successful in, in what they're doing. So it's it is one of those sort of daily daily struggles, of course. But once again, it's that sort of um, insecurity, that sort of complexity is what I find really exciting. And because uh, I, I just I just couldn't see myself doing anything else. I would get bored too quickly. What's coming next? If you had to offer three predictions for the future of the digital media space, what would they be? I think on the just, just staying on the theme on, on the mobile mobile content, I, I do think there is a, uh, a paradigm shift related to to really the market starting to recognize more premium mobile content and, and the really importance of it. What that means to me is more dollars that are, that are fueled into the ecosystem for content creation, for advertising around these premium environments. Uh, I think that's going to create quite a bit of opportunity. 
the other thing that I think from a mobile standpoint that I find really interesting is, is some of these interactive experiences, right? And how that's going to push the boundary for mobile storytelling. And, and interactive experience, I think, will maybe start with mobile, but also translate, obviously, to OTT. And you know, an example of that is, I'm sure you saw it with, uh, with Netflix and Bandersnatch, right? I was excited, maybe less about that specific episode, but more about the promise of what that represents, right? And this idea to be, you know, we used to always talk about lean back experience, lean forward, right? Well, this is at a whole other level where you're like, to some extent now, directly influencing what that content actually is, right? So that I think that is really interesting when I, when, I, when I see that. And I think that's sort of a small example. There's other folks out there that are doing some really interesting uh, interactive mobile storytelling, folks like Echo as an example, right? So I'm seeing some of their content and I'm, I find it really interesting some of the storytelling that they've been able to build within, within their platform. But I think that sort of trend to more interactive mobile experiences where you're sort of, there is a convergence between content and interactivity. And to some extent, what you saw in the gaming industry for a long time, I think there's a convergence there for media, right? I mean, in many ways, I think some of the gaming industry has been very much uh, driving the forefront of innovation as it relates to storytelling. I mean, there's some of these games that you watch, you could literally just watch someone else play it and it is a full-on story. So I, I think there'll be more convergence with that going forward. And I do see more players beyond Quibi, uh, going after the space of really thinking about mobile content creation. I mean, I would love to see Netflix specifically create content for mobile. Why wouldn't they? Ultimately, they know who's consuming the content when they're in a mobile device or not. And it's not about that a person will not watch House of Cards or Orange is the New Black, whatever the, you know, their, their, their big shows on mobile. It's not about that. that. There's always going to be a room for that. But there's also room for building more of those specific experiences built just for that device, right? That is designed in a specific manner. That, that leads into that interactivity that you can't build in within a mobile phone that is much easier to consume than when you're watching on your TV. Because one of the challenges with things like Bandersnatch, it's just not the same thing when you try to control it with your remote. It just doesn't have the same kind of kind of natural feel of, of interactivity. I think you're right that gaming has played such an important role in defining what could be the future of mobile entertainment. And it seems like the Los Angeles and the LA kind of startup ecosystem plays kind of a key role as well. It, mm -hmm. it makes me think of, you know, companies like Mammoth Media, which you guys are doing sure. with networks and, you know, other people that are thinking about what is the future of short form content on these mobile yeah. devices. Do you think that there's something unique about LA and the kind of entrepreneurial ecosystem and the convergence of media and technology that we have here in, in town? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think it's sort of it's, it's the access to both traditional storytelling, sort of the Hollywood style of, of media, right? But also looking at the gaming industry and the interactivity, really the level of innovation that is just, I love that combination, right? Because while there, there is a lot of technology being built here, it's not sort of the same thing as Silicon Valley, right? So I think that influence of, of storytellers being part of that and being, really being able to leverage the best of both worlds, which is the best of storytelling with the, which is with the best of technology. And there are some really interesting offerings. And you mentioned Mammoth Media. I love the stuff those guys are doing, right? And the fact that also, by the way, that they have a lot of own distribution, right? Because that's one of the challenges that a lot of companies like ours who have been built in the backs of social platforms that we all are envious of is having that direct communication. And I think if you were to pair some of our ability to tell content with some of that own distribution with some of those platforms, uh, that can become a pretty powerful combination. And so I, I definitely see the things that they're doing. And I think it's really interesting. But yeah, that's a whole other level of, of interactivity that uh, uh, you know we get excited about when we see things like that. What does the future hold for vertical networks? Uh, what are you guys thinking about long term? Yeah, I mean, I really want to be able to to build a business that uh, that can grow, stand on its own, that really has a a significant place as it relates to mobile content. I do think there's a gap there. Uh, I feel that, of course, with any kind of gap, it's not just going to be us and be other players coming into the equation. Uh, I think we've been thinking about it maybe a little bit longer than a couple of the folks. 
And I would love to be in a position to be, you know, one of those companies that people will talk to. I mean, ultimately, what I would like to be in a position is that anyone, anytime anyone speaks about mobile, premium mobile content, our name should be thrown into that conversation. You know, I want to be in that set of consideration with advertisers, with content buyers, anyone that's thinking about like, who's really good at, at doing storytelling for mobile? I want our company to be in that, in that position. And uh, I think if we do what we are planning on doing, if we're able to continue having success, then we should be in a pretty good position. If you were starting a business in the digital media space today, what would you do? Uh, it, it's, it's interesting, right? Because in many ways you can say, well, I would do media because I've been doing media for a while, but it's such a hard one to start from the beginning. Although I do think, and I, there is something about this sort of interactive mobile experiences that I find really, really interesting. So that would probably be one of the areas that I would look at first. You know, of course, in most cases, most people would say, well, if there's a way for you to bypass the social distribution or dependency, better, better, better said, on social distribution, there's probably one that if you're able to build that kind of business, then it's, you're probably a little better off and having more control of your own destiny. But I haven't given enough, enough thought on that because ultimately, uh, you know, a lot of my day and, and, and share of mine is dedicated to trying to do what, what we're doing as a company. Where can people find out more about you, Jesus, and more about Vertical Networks? Yeah, for me, I'm, I'm very simple to find on, uh, on LinkedIn. Um, I think it's probably one of the beauties of, of being named Jesus. Let's just throw it out there, right? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I'm super, super simple to find uh, on LinkedIn. It's probably the easiest way to find me, uh, Jesus Chavez. Uh, for Vertical Networks, we, I say most of our distribution is on, uh, on Snapchat. Our primary channels of distribution is Brooklyn. Other, which is our main one. We have a secondary one called Mindsy, which are both sort of publishing on a, on a daily and, and sort of bi-weekly basis or by yeah, twice a week uh, basis. Uh, we also have a number of shows that we have active. Right now we have XBFF Court, which basically is a little bit of a parody on Judge Judy and you bring two ex-best friends and you kind of hash it out in court. But you can find all of our shows sort of archived within Snapchat, like a phone swap, like parental guidance. In Facebook, some of our shows, like I have a secret you could found there on Facebook Watch. We also have Brother HQ, both on Facebook and Instagram. Those are our primary accounts uh, that we publish in as well. Very good. Well, I encourage all the listeners to check out some of your content. Check out Brother on uh, on Snapchat. Check out some of the other great content that you're producing across all these platforms. Yeah. And stay tuned for the additional IP that you guys are working on and we'll, we'll distribute in the future. Absolutely. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much for taking the time. It's fascinating to hear a little bit more about your journey, right, and evolution <laughs> from linear to traditional and, and more of the you know, digital media in a, in a linear environment to making the leap to, you know, digital first, video content, and ultimately mobile. I think the as we talked about, the transformation in the platform shift and the now the business models that's happening with mobile first entertainment is fascinating. Yeah. And I can't wait to see what, what happens next. So thanks for sharing your story. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time.